Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 95 of the Corona Diaries. <coughs> oh, it shouldn't be you coughing. To click off. It shouldn't be you no. coughing. No. no. Should be me. Yes, you've got to tell the listeners something, haven't you? Well, I thought it was only apt that one of us at some point during the podcast run should have should have COVID and and I've tested positive for COVID. I mean, positive now, as we speak. Yes. I'm infectious. Well, you've ruined my joke. I was hoping you'd say, I've got COVID, and I was going to say, are you positive? And then you could have gone, yes. But never mind, it's ruined. But it wouldn't have been a good joke. Well, anyway. should we do it? Should we do it anyway? <coughs> we've, been, we've been known to stage the other I, I, I say, I say, I say, <laughs> my cat's got COVID. <laughs> Are you positive? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe our our comedic days was, are behind wasn't us. Wasn't worth it. No. no, no, we had a crack. No, we'll, we'll leave it where it was. Leave it where it was. Oh, so, I had yes. a great joke the other day. Did you? Yeah, this, this <laughs> made all the more funny by, by the, from the fact that it was being told by an Irish, an old Irish lady. But she, I won't do the accent. But she says, uh, "My uh, what was it? My my husband, my 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 husband went to the doctors the other day and uh, for tests. He came back and I phoned it and said, what, what's the matter with him?' And they said, "He's either got AIDS or Alzheimer's. What should I do?' So, well, drive him to the edge of town, and if he comes back, don't fuck him." Oh dear, I don't know how many swathes of demographic we've just alienated with that, but it's it's fine. Yeah, you're on you're on dodgy ground with the Irish after your accent last time. So, well, I didn't do it. I thought I just did clear of the accent. Um, I suppose I've got to ask you. Yeah. How was last week? Oh, um, stormy. Um, Storm. I didn't mean the weather. I was talking about Blackburn. <laughs> oh yes, Blackburn. Uh, <laughs> I went back to Blackburn, didn't I? Yes. Um, no, it was it was uh, interminable. I think is the word, but that would have best described it. Um, it was it was t- tens of thousands of of of, of signatures, and. Um, you know the album covers just stretching off into the distance in every direction you could look, and the five of us heads down, scribbling away. For I think we 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 were doing about um, we were doing eight-hour days, 
you know, um, with an hour off for lunch. Um, but like the rest of the population then? Like the rest of the population, yeah. except that unlike the rest of the population, we weren't staring out the window, scratching our asses, pretending to be at work. We were actually... Oh, excellent. We've alienated pretty much everybody else there. <laughs> we, we were proper grafting. You're proper grafting. <laughs> Not like those work shy. Not like those ordinary folk. Yes. <laughs> So here's the thing, because I'm looking at the pictures then. I didn't expect it to be done the way it was done. So did you all walk along a line and sign, and then did somebody come up behind you and take the signed copy and put it back in the box that was behind it to, to, to open up a whole new line for signing? Yeah, uh, Frenchie and Stumpy were, um, you know, giving them, giving, giving them a couple of minutes to dry and then, uh, and, then, and then whipping them off and into boxes and revealing the next layer. Which was right. underneath because they were stacked up about ten high, um, and as fast as we signed them and worked our way sideways to the end of the one hundred meter long trestle table, um, you got to the end, and then you just realised there was another row, and then that's how it went on hour after hour after hour, um, and. A few people have asked me if I got writer's cramp, and I'm honest, I didn't. I, but I did get achy legs. Right. Um, you got your steps in though. Yeah, that's the it's the longest I've stood up in I don't know in living memory. I've never stood right. up that long. You know, uh, like shop you know shop workers are on their feet all day, aren't they? And then aren't really allowed to sit down. And it was like that. And I'm not used to it. So. I mean, I'm normally sat sat down either driving, or in the studio, or talking to you, or relaxing. Or I mean, the only time I'm ever really stood up is if I'm walking the dog, and that's rarely for more than an hour, and it's it rarely happens anyway. <laughs> Must have been a shock for your legs then last week. I was. I was. I was. Uh, I had achy knees. Um, Yes, no, no. I, don't, I mean, I don't. I haven't spoken to the band this week, but they're probably in for for uh, hip transplants and God knows what. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll try that again, shall I? Um, we had a chat about Geneva, about the the Feast of Hope. Oh, yes. uh, or rather, we didn't have a chat actually about it. You read a diary section about it. Yes, the second and, time the Feast yes. of Hope. Yeah. Yeah, a year after the first time. Hmm. Hmm. I think um, we I think Fish was at that as well, but I think he was on a different night to me. Um, so we didn't we didn't get to do the um, to repeat the. Here's the two singers of Marillion back on stage in a lovey dovey kind of way. We, 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 he he was there, but I think he I think he'd had to go or something. I can't remember. He was definitely there. Yeah. He was floating. He around. did a much shorter set in the second year. I've been on set list FM this morning. Yeah. And he did a much shorter set. So whether he did it with a house band or not, um, don't know. Mm. Or whether he, you know, he might not have taken his because obviously you you took the H band this time. Yeah, I had a whole load of rigmarole. Uh, yeah. I had a, the old eight piece 
all singing, dancing. I yeah. don't know if it was darling. I don't know if I'd got the tablas, but I'd, I'd certainly got the um, the cello and uh, all the other chaps. Right. Well, we'll we'll get to that because what we said we'd do is we'd start with a few questions from last week's diary, which was the day of travel and the day of getting there and the day of sound check. Mm. Then um, you'll read the second part of this story. Yes. And then we'll finish with some questions on that. Okay. Because, obviously, we're prepared, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Nothing's going to go wrong, is it? No. No. Right, okay. So, anyway, back to last week's diary section. So, cast your minds back. We've done this, by the way, so everybody's half forgotten as well, so we might get away with more. Um, The first thing I want to pick up on is a throwaway comment you made. Um, based around the fact you'd had your hair cut because you thought you were going to get six points and you clearly had to go to court. Mm, that's true. But you didn't give us any details. So come on then, what did you do? Well, I went up the M40. Uh, to, I was heading to Yorkshire, actually, and uh, my mum had gone into hospital at the time with um, a suspect... What was it? Uh, um, it was a cancer. Um so she'd gone in to, to have an operation and I was going up to Doncaster to see how she was. I was going up the M40. It was a glorious, peerless, sunny, blue sky, not a cloud in the sky day. Um, there wasn't a lot of traffic on the road at all. So visibility was great. Driving conditions were, um, you know, very very safe and uncluttered. And I was on my way to see my mum in hospital, so I stuck the foot down. And I was doing, I don't know, I think I was doing about 95 or something. And uh, I could, so there was a camera on a bridge, and uh, I got a letter, and I think I was already up at about, <laughs> I was already up at about six or nine points anyway when I got the letter. And uh, so that meant I had to go to court. Uh, and I was sort of basically staring down the barrel of a ban. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to court, and um, my mum's doctor wrote, wrote kindly wrote me a letter, you know, and said he would he, he was on his way up to to the hospital to visit his mother. Um, and the, they, the, so I, I mean, they let me off with a with a fine, which wasn't actually too bad in the end. But I thought I'd better look my best. For the, for the magistrate. <laughs> I I have some sympathy. I mean, obviously, I have some sympathy because of your mum, but I have some sympathy anyway, simply because I spent ten years effectively driving for a living. When you when you work uh, doing the job I did, I was covering about forty to fifty thousand miles a year. Yeah. You drive um, if you drive sort of between ten and four in the day through the week on the motorway network. It's basically professional drivers, people who drive all the time, mm. who who are very well, you know, they, they, you can tell by the way they drive. So, but we, I, I didn't know anybody who did the job I did that didn't have between three and nine points because it was just an occupational hazard. Yeah. No, you the, can't do 45, 50,000 miles a, a year without, that doesn't, now I'm not condoning it. I'm saying it's a bit of a fact of life and it's something that invariably you pick them up you pick them up on the motorway and you pick them up at 
75, 80 miles, well, 80, 85 miles an hour. Yeah, the, just to, it's just the more you drive, the, the more likely you are to pick them up. And that's just a hard fact. People like yourself, you know, and traveling salesmen and whatnot, they're just always on the road and they're mm. always picking them up. It's just going to happen. Mm. That's just how it blinky well is. And, and, well, you know, I, I'm not proud of it, but I've done, I have done two speed awareness courses. Oh, well done. What on the uh, <laughs> I think well, I went back on the second time because I thought I'd know, I'd know the answers. <laughs> I think Mike Hunter actually last week told me he'd got two speeding awareness courses booked in at once in different <laughs> <laughs> in different parts, different counties. Different, yes. <laughs> well, that's really impressive. <laughs> He's extremely speed aware. Yeah, I bet he is. Yeah. <laughs> or at least he is in two counties. He's <laughs> like a nutter in between them. He's aware of he's aware of how expensive it is, if if not how dangerous it is. Anyway, back to the diary. Yeah. Um there was a there was a change of lineup. So you had Mike Wilson, and we, we mentioned Mike early on Mikey because Wilson, obviously yeah. Uh, he'd, he'd uh, the the owner of the B and B had come over a little bit unnecessary uh, due to the waft of his aroma. Um, yes, Pepper. Oh, darling, it's all I it's all I could do to stop myself bursting in on him. I remember her saying, <laughs> "Great." And and Jingles, Jingles, the bass player. Yes, yes. Yeah, he was a character. Um, so obviously Clem and Chucho couldn't make it. No, Clem. I think Clem was back out on the road with Blondie, and I think Chucho had gone off with Dave Gilmore or somebody. Um, so couldn't get hold of them. And of course, because this was a one-off, it was all a little bit last minute. So I think, I think Aziz put me onto Mikey. Uh, Mike was—he uh, was a Manchester boy, and he'd been playing with. Uh, Texas, Charlene, Charlene Spateri, which is a, a very bad attempt at an Australian accent for no reason at all, because she's Glaswegian. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is, <laughs> what I mean is, Charlene Spateri. There, that's, a, that's, that's more like it. <laughs> I was just... I was just saying, were you thinking neighbours for a second? You got your Charlene's mixed up. I think I well, Charlene is is it's one of those you can't you can't quite say Charlene without it going off at the end, can it? Charlene, Charlene. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yes. I met Charlene actually years ago at Rock Hammering, and uh, she was very nice. She was very nice. I said hello, and she said hello back, and that's always a very good sign. Mm. It's a good start. She didn't say you have to care, or um, you know, or or blank me altogether. <laughs> so that was nice. <laughs> now that's that's other famous people, but you're not describing your morning routine, are you? There. <laughs> what do you want about now? <laughs> you walk downstairs and one blanks you altogether, and the other one says you have to care. <laughs> yeah, that that might actually be be yes. Yeah, vibes and the missus. She's in Denmark at the moment, so uh, she's so it's quiet in the house because vibes hasn't surfaced yet. I've already done two um, two Zoom interviews to Germany this Have morning. You? Yeah, I've spoken to WDR four, I think they're called, uh, which is the national 
radio, and I've spoken to Radio Bob, which is the uh, the biggest rock radio station in Germany. What so. a great name for a rock radio station. <laughs> radio Bob. Brilliant. <laughs> I don't know why it's called Radio Bob. I didn't know. You don't do it in that kind of baldric, <laughs> that kind of blackadder voice, do you? <laughs> Not Bob, is it? Bob. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I've completely lost my train now. It's going all over the place this morning. You can tell I'm ill. Um, anyway, Mike and Jingles. So Mike and Jingles make up the, the lineup. There isn't... Um, I did... The, the only people that were mentioned was Aziz. Mm-hmm. Um, Greg's. Greg's. Richard. Yeah. Mike and Jingles. Yeah, I think Stephanie, the, the cellist, was with us. Yeah. Stephanie Sober-Jones. Well, she's not mentioned in either of the entries, but that, but I've no other way of, of gauging it other than that. So um, mm, I've just got a feeling she was, but I, I don't know why I haven't mentioned her. Maybe she wasn't. Right. No? Okay, fine. Um, so Mike and Jingles come in. Mm-hmm. Um, is this the only time those two play in the band? Jingles did quite quite a bit of work with us, because he, right. he, um, I think after that we did another tour and Andy Gangadine came in on drums, but Jingles remained on bass. Right, that's and it. And then we did some more shows. We did we did one or two shows as well where Pete Travis played bass um, as well because Andy was really complimentary about Pete's playing. He liked Pete's playing a lot. Um, so, yeah. So Jingles did do... Um, he did do quite a few shows. We, we did a show at... Uh, Paradiso in Amsterdam. Um, um, I remember Jingles being there for, um, I, but Andy was drumming, and we did have tablers at that point. The so doll was there. The doll well. was there. Yeah. But as far as Mike and Jingles are concerned, this is the first one they do. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Mikey Wilson didn't stay long with us. He uh, he just right. did uh, two or three, and then then Andy got involved. We're probably scared about where you're going to put him up next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, popular with the ladies. Yeah. Um, Nick, uh, Nick Eads also mentioned cutting crew. Nick, <clears throat> um, you seem to suggest in the in the diary that you organised his appearance. Well, yeah, I think Pimi got in touch with me and said he was doing another fête de soir. Did I know anybody um, that that might might be good that'd be up for doing it? And I said, well, I know Nick Eade, and he might be. And he's famous, and he'll pull some punters for the charity. So, and I, I've known Nick for quite a few years, and uh, I'm know, you know, know him well enough to um, phone him up and invite him along. And he was up for coming, and uh, came along with his wife Nikki, and uh, got up just on his own with a, a guitar and did a little set, and it was great. Um, on the subject of. Nick Eade. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a spelling mistake in the diary. Oh, right. Well, um, now because it mentions me. his Dan Electro guitar. Oh, did I spell that wrong? It's not. I don't think it's spelt with a K. Oh. I think Electro. You put a K in Electro, and it's actually. I think. It's, I think it's actually a C. Have you Googled it? Um, no, but I've sold plenty of them over the years. Oh, all right then. All um, right. I, I will Google it. I can Google. It. I've just, I've got it into my head. I can see that K, and I can see it. <laughs> it's there, shining at me off the neck. Okay, 
Well, and I'm sure you can. And I'm sure you can. But, but the, the brand themselves don't feel the need to put it in. Uh, um, um, or at least they didn't in there. It is Dan Electro with a C for DanElectro.com. I think, actually, okay. it might be a, okay. a typo. Well, could you give them a shout and just tell them they're wrong? To change uh, it. Please. <laughs> I will. I will. They're nice, they're nice chaps. They'll do that for you. <laughs> they're good guitars. They are. And, they, yeah. and surprisingly inexpensive. Yeah. Yeah, but, but um, good, yeah. And have been played by a lot of people over the years. It's quite. Uh, didn't Jimmy Page was a big Dan Electro? Oh, was he? Um, devotee, and I think. Um, but over the years, lots of people have, have played Dan Electro. Um, yeah, I've got a feeling Chris Rea had one. Hmm. I could be wrong. It, yes, I, yeah. I, do you know what? I recall that as well. Hmm. I recall that as well. And, and then last bit, um, and we'll end with the kind of bit of a downer. But it's only a downer because it's it sorts itself out in the end. Um, you 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 had a bit of a troublesome sound check. Oh Christ! Yeah. Well, it, it yes. Well, it didn't sort itself out in the end, to be honest, because the, the sound on stage for the gig was pretty scary. Um, just about got through it, really. I mean, I had had a had a good feeling, and it was a good vibe in the in the room. But when when you've been a bit spoiled. Uh, for sound on stage over the years you, you, you know when you get when you work with someone who isn't isn't very good um then uh, you woe betide you it comes as a bit of a shock um yeah I, I i was sort of a little bit amused by what i said about the all the middle-aged crooners who sang flat <laughs> And that was true. They sang flat, like pushing the note all the way up to pitch would just be too much too effort much for somebody this wealthy. <laughs> I, th- I think they'd probably say that it was just languid, what they were doing. <laughs> That's what it was. It was languid. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it was about, oh, I don't know, it was nearly a quarter tone languid at times. <laughs> well, if you're going to be languid. <laughs> Yeah. People need to know you're deliberately being languid. Yeah, well, I often... And that's about a quarter of a tone. I often sing sharp because I'm so eager to please. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that he's so excited that he sings a little bit sharp. <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> it makes you sound like a puppy. <laughs> well, I'm, tr- I'm usually treated like a puppy when I'm on the tour bus, you know. All these cats treat me like a kid. And then I get to the end of the tour and realise I'm 10 years older than any of them. <laughs> I just, I thought they meant they stopped every 20 miles and let you out for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, they sometimes have to. Char- <laughs> yes, yes. Charlie, once st- <laughs> Charlie once stopped the tour bus uh, in the Alps so that I could get out and make a snowball and got back in again. <laughs> All right, H, I'll just stop so you can make a snowball. Oh, great, Charlie! Just put put pulled up. <laughs> I got out and made a snowball. <laughs> oh, got back in again. Right, carry um, on. Literally, everybody's got your level these days, haven't they? <laughs> I think that's lovely. I, I mean, how how big a compliment can there be than somebody stops in the Alps so you can make a snowball and then lets you back on? Yeah, that's affection that is that's truly lovely actually yeah yeah Yeah. that's the kind of level of people you know stopping farage in the street and punching him square in the face (laughs) i think i think it's it's a that's the equivalent metaphor 
I think I've got. <laughs> the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> Throwing a milkshake over him. Oh, oh, that was a beautiful moment. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So, go on. Because uh, McDonald's, st- McDonald's stopped selling milkshakes, didn't they? Which town was that after that? They they stopped, uh, and then Burger King put a note up on the uh, on social media saying we've got plenty of milkshakes <laughs> left. <laughs> it's, it's great. You've got you've got to love those little moments. <laughs> Back to sound check. Um, so lang- languid French singers. Yes, languid French singers, and, and a French monitor man who didn't speak English or certainly claimed not to. Or whenever you asked for anything, you know, you'd get the Gallic shrug, or if you got anything at all, and uh, and so it was. It was a god. It was hellish, um, and the and the clock was ticking. You know, the ta- sound check time was limited because there was a curfew on the hall, and everyone had to be out by ten, and I think we got or eleven. But we got up sta- up on stage after waiting all night. You know, and. Half an hour into our sound check, we'd barely got started because the stage crew weren't very good and monitor man was hopeless. And there was eight of us, so we, we had quite a lot to sort out. Um, I think they were a bit more geared up for languid, middle-aged mm. crooners than they were for uh, cutting-edge, um, what would you call us, avant-garde art rock folk. Mm. I, I, I think you Covered most of the bases there. <laughs> Throw in slippers, and I think you've, for Dave Greggs, I think you've got the lot, haven't you? Yes, good old Greggs. And a pair of dark glasses for Rich, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's leave it, and let's find out what actually happened. Okay. Here's what happened on the show day. Coming up. Saturday, May 27th, Geneva, H-Brand, Le Fête d'Espoir. Woke around 11 and ordered up coffee while Sue had a bath. I found a hotel leaflet which informed me that the lake is filled from glacial water coming down from the mountains and is emptied by the River Rhone which flows from it onward to France. The impressive fountain, which is arguably Geneva's most famous and distinguishing feature, was originally conceived as a safety valve to release high-pressure spring water from underground. It certainly shoots into the air with some force. I wonder if it's still natural or whether it's pumped. We had arranged to meet up in the lobby around 12 to go to lunch. There had been a slight change of venue, so we ended up in a little cafe in town where twenty or thirty of us assembled and were served lunch so slowly that I swear the chef prepared each person's plate individually from scratch by digging up the vegetables one at a time and having the meat brought to him from Argentina on foot. Sue and I were the first into the cafe and waited patiently, and eventually less patiently, whilst people who had arrived 30 minutes after us were being served 30 minutes before us and were beginning dessert before we'd received starters. 
As far as I could tell, there were only two staff working in the entire place. It reminded me a lot of the episode of Faulty Towers when the chef has the night off and the Americans arrive for dinner. I know Peamy was doing his best to make everything run smoothly. However, I think he had more important things on his mind than the arrival time of my lunch. The weather had turned and it was trying to rain outside. He sat alone at a table near to the door, muttering nervously into his mobile phone. Heavy rain would have massive consequences for a free outdoor show. People would stay away. The rain soon eased and Sue and I took our chance to escape rather than risk another half an hour waiting for ice cream. We walked up into the old town where the streets are cobbled and filled with antique shops. In the past, when I've been here on tour, I've sometimes spent most of the day up here reading or writing my diary in one of the numerous cafes. We were, however, all cafed out, so we mooched around an exhibition of nondescript art before walking down to the main drag for a quick peek in the Armani-esque designer shops. Interesting stuff if you don't mind looking like a stained glass window. Not at all. And have a couple of grand to spare on threads. Sadly not. We returned to the Angleterre, walking along the lake, where I was suddenly made famous by an Italian couple who stopped us to say hello and wished us well for the show. It's a nice feeling being recognised, provided that it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen to me too much, really, so on the whole, when it does, I quite enjoy it. Our fans are generally decent, level-headed types who simply want to show a bit of support and to let you know they're rooting for you. How can that be a problem during the hours of daylight? We got back to the hotel and once again went straight to bed. It's good to go to bed in the afternoon. I always wanted a bed in the garden in a summer house on rails so that on certain afternoons you could roll the bed out of its house onto the lawn and have a snooze in the garden. If I ever have any real success in this mad business, I'll realise my garden bed on rails ambition Imagine drifting off to sleep in bed in the afternoon to the sound of birdsong and the sunshine on your face, maybe on a sunny winter's day in a fur hat. Feel free, people, to steal this idea. It's a killer. While we're at it, here's another thing to try. Next time you shower, don't stand up. Sit down in the tray. It's one of life's little pleasures, especially if you're really tired or dirty. I love to do this after a show. Didn't sleep terribly well. Pre-gig nerves had started their slow build towards the evening. By the time we assembled in the hotel lobby at 6.30, I think everyone was feeling a certain unspoken quiet terror at the prospect of walking on stage without being quite ready to play the songs. We felt under-rehearsed, and we were all more than a little apprehensive about our friend on the monitor desk. I kept reminding everyone that the purpose of the gig was simply to enjoy ourselves and that we weren't here to feel pressured into making the ultimate artistic statement. I wasn't fooling anyone, including myself. All six of us are perfectionists by nature and wanted the set to be killer, despite any technical limitations. When we arrived, the show had been underway for some time and we made our way to our dressing room a sports hall locker room, get-into-your-basketball-kit type of changing room. There was also a communal backstage artists' area where we could have a buffet dinner and free drinks. Pimi and Isabel had thought of just about everything. 
They hadn't quite nailed the backstage access problem, though. There were a limited number of backstage passes printed, and these had long since run out. I gave my laminate to Richard Barbieri's sister, Rosemary, who'd arrived from Rome, and there was a bit of toing and froing while I arranged to get various Dutch and Spanish chums to be allowed back. Poor Isabel was trying to organise a dozen things at once, talking into her mobile phone, walkie-talkie, and to real people who, like me, queued up to say, um, Isabel, I have a problem. She retained her composure throughout the evening. I guess she must have known what it would be like from past experience. I decided I should have one beer to settle my nerves to a point where I could think straight enough to get the band ready for the show. We were told we'd be on around 11, so we'd said we'd meet up at the dressing room at 10 to go through any remaining doubts in the song arrangements. Diz and I sat down with Nick and Nicky and nibbled on light snacks and talked rubbish for a while. I then wandered around a bit saying hello to my Dutch guests Inga, Siska and Natasha and to Ivan from Spain. Everyone seemed happy to be there, although I suspect I was probably a little too wired to make normal conversation. I said a brief hello to Rob and Alexis Crossland, who once again had travelled halfway across Europe for a night out. Ten o'clock soon arrived, and everyone assembled in the dressing room, where we more or less went through the whole show. Mikey drumming his hands on his thighs, whilst I sang guide vocal and shouted bass cues for jingles. Richard and Dave listened intently, chipping in the odd comment and pulling me up if I missed something, while Aziz sat back and watched the spectacle. If there was anything he wasn't sure of, he wasn't admitting it. He's worked with Ian Brown too long to get uptight, and he knows that strutting the right attitude is more important than getting everything note perfect. Having said that, I don't recall him dropping any clangers during any of the shows we've done together. Me? I'm all right if my monitors are working well and I've got something colourful to wear. One out of two was assured, and I eventually hit the stage in an excellent embroidered jacket, which I'd bought in a cafe in Croperty, and black feather boa. On the whole, I had a great time up on stage, mincing and skulking around, shaking my tambourines and bells. My vocal sound centre stage was good, and although I couldn't hear jaws hitting the floor, I felt pretty confident that there must be a murmur of what the fuck's this, or whatever the French equivalent sounds like. Everything went well until nothing to declare, which involved my sitting down behind the infamous hired keyboard. Fortunately it was working, but unfortunately the drum machine, which forms the basic groove of the song around which the drums play, was deafeningly loud all over the stage. I guess this was the monitor man's long-awaited revenge for short tempers at soundcheck yesterday. Either that, or my last words to Eric as we walked on stage, which had been to make sure the drum machine was well loud during Nothing to Declare. The monitor man had obviously decided to over-interpret this request as, when the song started, the drum machine was so loud in my monitors that I couldn't hear much else. It's quite an introspective song, but I'd no hope of achieving any intensity or tenderness vocally with the deafening thumping and booming under my chin. I closed my eyes tightly and tried to ignore it, 
but it got so loud during verse 2 that my mic began to resonate and a low booming feedback began ringing all over the stage. Any halfwit who'd ever been allowed near a monitor desk would have eliminated this quickly, but it carried on for most of the remainder of the song, killing the song stone dead. This was a shame, as I had included it in the set principally because I knew it was a favourite of Pimi, the organiser and instigator of the show. Oh well. We finished the set with the last thing, which was much better, and by this time we knew we had the audience well and truly confused, so we left the stage feeling triumphant. We returned to the artist bar to drink a couple of well-earned beers. Don't really remember the details, except that several artists wandered up to me over the rest of the evening to say they'd enjoyed our set. I kept noticing people going by wearing my beads, which had no doubt flown off during sudden movements while on stage. I think Jingles nicked some of them. A high point in the evening was when Richard B. introduced me to the Italian photographer, Luigi Colasanti Antonelli, who had taken a dozen or so Polaroids of our set. Really good photographs. He's obviously a talented boy, which he gave to me as a present. I have them at home, and when I get a minute, I'm going to frame them all together as a memento of the evening. What a band. Everyone wants to do another show. I wonder if I can organise something before we forget it all. Wandered out into the security pit to watch Nick Eade sing a couple of songs. A beautiful black girl, sorry, didn't get a name, sang a backing vocal into a mic which wasn't switched on, while Aziz also added a second guitar, which wasn't in the PA. I never told him, but it set me wondering just how much of my show the audience had actually got to hear. And we're back! And that was day two. Day Day two two in in Geneva. Um, And I've got questions about day two in in Geneva. Um... Mm. And this is obviously the the point in the recording process that's always open to interpretation, uh, as as we as we see what what can be recalled. Um, for the record, I've read it this morning. Well, um, the first thing I'm going to talk about because hmm. you mentioned something really interesting, and this is this is me actually having been to Geneva a lot of times because I didn't realise this, but you said something about the fountain. So for those who've never been to Geneva, there is a fountain in the middle of... It's actually in the middle of the um, the end uh, of the lake, isn't it? It's almost yeah. like a harbour. Um, mm. And there's this fountain, and it is ridiculously powerful. It goes ridiculously high. Yeah, it's sort of like the height of a large tree, isn't it? It's, yes. It's a serious height, yeah, twice the height of, of a house. And it's kind of in, it's, it's within the lake. So it's not like a fountain with a load of stonework around it. It's in the middle of the lake and it goes really, really high. And you mentioned in the diary that it's kind of like a safety valve. Uh, that's why it was originally put there, I believe, yeah, to, to uh, release glacial, glacial water, glacial meltwater, I think. I read that in a pamphlet, so it must be true. must it, be true. It was one of those pamphlets you got in the hotel. But I didn't, I didn't realise that. But it makes an enormous amount of sense because if you've ever been to that part of the world, you have got mountains all around you and there will be a lot of water that will, at points in the year, will come down off those hills. Yeah, yeah. Mont Blanc is 
Just is right up the top there, isn't it? You just just it. over the way. Mm. So um, informative and and educative. Edu- educational, entertaining, educational, sensitable. Uh, I'll see if I can find if I can find any more information. I'll put a link on uh, about that. But I was really fascinated by it. It's probably only me that was uh, fascinated by that. But thank you for throwing that in. Mm. Um, on the subject of things that you've thrown in. Um, you then go on to describe your garden bed on rails. Oh God, yeah, yeah, that was something I, I always thought if, if, if you know, I had a lot of money, that would be a great thing to have. It'd be just like a, a bed on rails that came out of like a little shed on sunny days, so you could uh, you could you could haul it out onto the lawn and and go to bed in the sun. And then on a rainy day, it goes back in the shed at the end of the garden. Yes. Yes, if it looks like rain, you press the button and it whirs its way back in, into the bed shed. Now, you see, I've slightly, I've not quite thought this through the way that you thought it. I had a vision of like a, one of these double doors in your bedroom and that your bed somehow on rails, a bit like a monorail, would go out and you'd kind oh. of be in the garden that way, but you'd be... 20 feet above the floor. Unless you had kind of curvy rails and it kind of shot out and down. In a well, like of, a little roller coaster. Like, yeah, like a ski jump um, in a kind of Wallace and Gromit style Then you'd have to haul it back up afterwards, though. You'd need, you'd need some kind of motorised ratchet chain system, I think, for right. getting it, you know which would probably go clackety, clackety, clack. Oh, it should have to go clackety, clackety, and piss clack. piss the neighbours off. Yeah. There he goes again, hauling right. the bed back in, they'd say. <laughs> there he goes again, hauling the bed. I like that. So I've probably overthought it then. You were actually deadly serious, little shed in the garden, bed in it, and then the ability for it to kind of come out into the garden so you could have a snooze in the sunshine and then go back when it's raining. Yeah. No, that would be taken, fantastic. And I've taken a bit too far. <laughs> I'm not. You have. You have. I mean, obviously, you'd need... You'd need um, You'd need a, a, a sound a sound bed shed to keep it in because you wouldn't want your duvet getting damp or any of that. You, you know, it'd need to be it need to be proper. You thought this through, haven't you? Yeah, I've, I've thought if ever I made serious money, I definitely have an electric bed in the garden. Right. You could even have one that was below ground and came up like. Like Thunderbird, exactly. some kind of Tracy Island thing. A Tracy Island on underground bed, yeah. With a, with a pond that split and your bed came up. <laughs> and some palm trees that folded down. Yeah. Oh, you'd have to have folding palm trees. <laughs> They're a must. Oh, they would. They'd go down a treat in Doncaster, they would. <laughs> I was in Doncaster over the weekend and I oh, saw yeah. a palm tree, so it's funny you should mention that. I went, look at that, a palm tree in Donny. How times have changed. Indeed. None of that when I was a lad, he said. No, no. Right. <laughs> okay, uh, while we're on the subject of your, um, not inventions, but your suggestions, sitting down in the shower. Oh, uh, yeah. I can thoroughly recommend that as a totally different experience to having a shower. And I don't mean having a seat in the shower because that's no. not it. You've no. got to sit down on the floor of the shower, preferably with your head between your legs, 
um, not too far between your legs. Uh, and with with the water coming down, that's that is a trip, especially if you're exhausted, like or hungover. Post show, yes, right. hungover, or uh, I suppose if you're sporty and you've been running around on a muddy field, it'd probably uh, be good yes. as well. Yes. Yeah, I can recommend that. You'd think it's the same as having a shower, only you're sat down, but it isn't. It's a whole other world of loveliness. There you have it. That's something new. That's yeah. something we weren't expecting today. Anyway, none Top of tips. none of that has any reference to Geneva. Um, but you, ca- you can't go past things like that in a diary reading. No. Can you? No. Um, so that brings us round to the show. And obviously we finished before the reading talking about the car crash of a sound check. How was the show? Well, I think it was sort of all right. Um, I think there were a kind of hardcore of people up the front really enjoying it. And then a lot of other people who might have turned up to see the uh, middle-aged cronies scratching their heads wondering what the hell was going on. Um, and wondering who the bloke was in the loud jacket shaking the sleigh bells with the black uh, feather bow around his, his neck. They were probably wondering that. Um, and what the hell was going on because there was all these characters on stage and they couldn't hear them. Because um, I, I don't think the sound man was much good either. <laughs> Out front, <laughs> if Nick if Nick Eads said there's anything to go by, because he got up after us, and um, you know you couldn't hear his backing vocalist, and uh, she was singing her heart out. She wasn't even in the PA, and that was just two or three inputs, and we probably had about thirty. So God mm. knows what we'd got coming out and or not coming out. Um, but the, you know, I enjoyed it, and and hopefully it made a bit of money for Pimi, which was the point of it. But it's a sh- it's a shame when you know what when you know what you can do, and you're not you not only are you not given the tools to do it, you're kind of actively prevented yeah. from uh, you know, or you bring the tools with you, but no one will let you pick them up. Yeah. <laughs> that kind yeah. of thing. Well, looking at the set list, it looks like you played for a, I would, I'd be saying a thick end of an hour. Did, um, were we? Was it that long now? Well, you played seven tracks. Uh, you played Dinosaur Thing, maybe not actually that long, think about it. Uh, Dinosaur Thing, uh, Dinosaur Thing's five minutes, isn't it? Yeah, um, four or five. King? Go King, King's a cosy seven or eight, yeah. Yeah, uh, Cage? Cage would have been five or six. Uh, fake plastic trees, three. Yeah. Uh, until you fall. Yep. Nothing to declare. And then you finish with the last thing. So probably 45, 50 mm. minutes, probably mm. with bits of bits of chat in between. Mm. Uh, and I said that's a nice that's a nice little set list. Yes, I do. I do remember nothing to declare being really difficult because the yeah. The, the drum, machine, drum machine, which is supposed to kind of be quietly ticking away in the background, <laughs> was a head-breaking volume for everybody. Uh, and then, you know, you just spend spend the whole song gritting your teeth, uh, waiting for it to, to end and try, <laughs> trying, to, trying to work out how you're going to tell this French monitor man to turn it down. 
and, and how you're going to convey that message to him when A, he doesn't speak English and B, he's not looking at you which I think was what was going on I think he'd vanished altogether at that point um, I'm sure he's very nice I'm sure he is <laughs> just not very helpful <laughs> should just consider other employment He's probably uh, very good at creating a blockade with a tractor. Yes, unless he's asked to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that was the set. Obviously, you come off. Like you say, Nick, Nick, Nick goes on after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and, and to be fair, you do mention it, uh, and you have just mentioned it, and you don't really know what it sounds like out front because you've got no real... You know, r- real sense of what was going on in in the PA in the PA really. Yeah. Um, you did then say that Rich introduced you to a photographer he who'd did. taken some really good Polaroids. Yes, Luigi Carlos Santi Antonelli, um, th- who is um, he lives in Rome. He's Italian. He's the loveliest man, and he's a complete visual genius. Uh, he's he, he takes amazing photographs, and he uh, lectures at. Uh, one of the universities in Rome he, he, he lectures in photography um, and he became a really good friend over the years so whenever I'm in Rome uh, he's my first phone call he, he specialises in Polaroids did um, you do anything with them because you said in the diary you were going to put them together in some form of frame collage thing well what we did was we used them on the um, in the end, we used a lot of them, and the uh, front row racket did a racket did a lot of releases for the front row club, right? Um, which were sort of live desk bootlegs that we put yeah. out, and yeah. we used Luigi's photographs on the front of those. He took this great photograph of my Fender Telecaster, which was from the top of the neck. Um, and the um, the sort of depth of field is so intense, and the the lens is so strange that it looks like it's about a mile long, looking like looking down the neck. You can barely see the body. Um, but he's he's great. He we we used one of his photographs for uh, the cover of ArcLight. We used his photograph the 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 photograph on the front of not the weapon but the hand is is Luigi as well um so his his work is very abstract but it but it is photographs and they're not they're not doctored in photoshop or anything that that's the actual shot that he uses he doesn't process them with with toys he does it all with his eye and the lens so he's 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 quite amazing and really and as i said a minute ago a really lovely human being Mm. Cool. That's a nice. That's a nice place to finish. Uh, I think for for ninety five. Um, I was looking this morning. We're we're already over ten percent of the way into the second volume. Oh, we already. Pages in. Gosh, yeah. forty odd pages in. Oh, well, darling, uh, we don't mess about. Yeah, you'd think we do. Yes. If you saw the tense negotiations that go into setting a start time <laughs> for this <laughs> podcast. But but we don't mess about. It's amazing how long it takes to negotiate a five-minute delay <laughs> in recording time. 
something along the lines of 1040 for cash. Yeah, all right then. <laughs> that kind of high level stuff that goes on. 10. Well, I'm free till 11. Right. Well, no, I can do 10.15. All right. 10.15 it is. 10.15 comes around. How about 10.30, actually? Okay, that's fine. I think it'll be nearer 10.40. And on it goes. Maybe under a freedom of information request at some point in the future, we'll have to release these sensitive WhatsApp conversations. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, that's probably not a good idea. (laughs) I, I had I was I was doing radio, Bob. Then I had to have my breakfast. That's all I can say. Yes. What did you have this morning? I had shreddies this morning. Oh, I had I had muesli. I, I'm I'm currently these days on um, I'm on Alpen sugar free, but with quite a lot of um, there's a granola made by a company called Spoon, and they do a cinnamon one, and that's good. So I mix that in with the, the Alpen, and then and then I slice up um, a hideously overripe banana, which is so overripe you can barely get a knife through it. It just goes, you know, it's just squelch. Mush. It's mush. <laughs> and the reason they're overripe is because I, you know, I always forget that they're there right. till till they've had it and they're black and soft. Right. So it's not a conscious <laughs> decision. Then you just. It was no, it was a, a needs must right. situation. Right. Probably give me rage and diarrhea later. <laughs> don't don't feel the need to update us next week. Because <laughs> I'm saying that you'll probably know far sooner than that. Um, I'm a big believer in an overripe piece of fruit washed down with something five days past its sell by day out the fridge. Yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Lynetta, um, she throws stuff out, you know, as the clock ticks midnight into the next day. She it's nips all, down. It's all in the bin. Right. Uh, whereas I'm, while I go, you're not throwing that away. You're not throwing that away. Because, um, you know, because I'm old and from up north. Yes. You know, so we're a bit more. You know, the sight of throwing food away does my head in. Really does. We have a lot of trouble with hummus. But there we are. Yeah. And the fact that you're routinely, you know, ill with stomach complaints every (laughs) other week doesn't seem to be putting you off. (laughs) I have the constitution of a shire horse, Anthony. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you do. And if you've ever seen what a shire horse can produce... (laughs) Yes. And on that note... After a good breakfast of overripe fruit. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, you want me... In fact, there's a thing. Go and give your breakfast to a shy horse, see what happens to it, and you may well think again. Stand well back. Yes. Right, we'll call it a day. And also, finally, before we go, that means 95's done. That means we're getting painfully close to the 100, aren't we? Yeah. When I was a kid, me and John Liedel used to have this joke that used to make us laugh and laugh and laugh. And it was, roll up, roll up, see the elephant that hasn't had a shit for ten years, don't tickle it, madam, too late, dig her out for it. And that used to make us laugh, because we were kids. So I always think of that. Anyway, right. yes, sorry, what were you saying? I was just saying we're getting very close to 100. Oh, yeah, we are. Yeah. yeah. yeah we put any thought into 100 yet? Well, I think we're going to do something... Something special. We must yeah. have a special guest, mustn't we? Let's let's feed it into the production meeting. Mm. 
Let's put it in the thought fridge. <laughs> well, it won't get thrown away if it's in your thought fridge. It won't. It'll be there for years. Indeed. Until it's gone brown and mushy. Until it's fallen through the gaps in the little bars in the shelf. Oh, dear. I'm going to have to draw this to a close. I'm feeling rather nauseous. Oh, right. I will see you next time. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. I thought you were saying that to me. <laughs> well, yeah. well, thanks for showing up, Anthony. <laughs> so, well, you know, anytime, anytime. I've, I can't go anywhere, can I? Well, no, I guess not. Not in your current condition. No, no. Well, I mean, saying depending on what Boris says today, I can, you know, I can go out and infect as many people as I like. Oh, God, the good people of Hackmanwick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have to drive to do that, obviously. <laughs> I did, I did know, I just did know. I, know. I did the Comedic effect. Yeah. I'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I wonder what I'm going to do for the Croonkast. I could do a Bananarama song. <laughs> Overripe pop group Bananarama. And I think they might have been at one point. I've heard some stories about them. I'll just stop with you. I was gonna do a croquette Do what it was Based on Bananarama Oh yeah So I downloaded their catalogue Do what it was To see what I could find But I struggled to do it Cause I saw right through it They were really saying nothing They were really saying nothing Thank you, Sebastian Schwer and Tina Jennings, too. Thank you, Danny Smith, and thank you, Gavin Davel. Thank you, Roger Johnson, although I might have thanked him last time. Thank you, everybody. Now back to Bananarama. They had back home hair, but I don't care. They were really saying nothing. They were really saying nothing. Bop, 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 this is all taking too long. I gotta go now. Like the producers waiting down at the studio. Like the producers waiting down at the studio. Like the producers waiting. Talking Liverpudlian. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>